0: I can tell you, Boudreaux wants to live a good life. Yeah, he does. Just this past week, man, he was down at the unemployment office, and uh, he was asking for a job, and the guy said, what's your qualifications? He said, well, I, I cut sugar cane. And the guy said, well, let me see what I've got, and he walks in the back, and he comes back out a few minutes later, and he said, oh yeah, we got several jobs in that field, pays minimum wage. Boudreaux said, minimum wage? He said, come on, man. He said, uh, my friend Thibodeau was here yesterday. You gave him a job making six figures, man, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. The guy said, "What? Let me check on that." He goes back to the back again, comes back out. He goes, "Mr. Boudreaux, your friend Thibodeau makes one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year because he's a pilot. You cut sugar cane, so you're going to make minimum wage. He makes all that money because he's a pilot." Boudreaux said, "Huh? He can't pilot till I cut it. <laughs> Come on, y'all. he, he can't pilot till I cut it." It needed motions. It needed some... (laughs) We're in week two of the good life, and a lot of people have the mistaken idea that the good life can be measured in dollar signs and decimal points, that it's all about the money. It's all about making good money, and we're always out to make good money. And I want to take just a few minutes today, and I really want to... just focus on uh, that misnomer, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the good life. What we are, are learning in this series is that only God is good. In fact, I'd love for you to say that with me, real quick. Just say, "Only God is good." Jesus said that. He said, "Only God is good." So. There's no form of life that is detached from God that is truly good. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how much status or notoriety you have, uh, what kind of quote-unquote success that you've achieved. Listen, if it's not directly connected to God, it's not good. Only God is good. So to live the good life, you must have that God life, that God connection. And that's true in every regard, including our money, including finances. And that's what I want to specifically focus on today in week two of this series, The Good Life. And I know that makes a little... Uh, uh, some people are a little uncomfortable and I know that there are some folks that are here maybe even for the first time and you're going I knew it I knew the minute I walked into that church they were going to talk to me about money man and and uh, and I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable but I'm not going to apologize for talking about something that's so important you may uh, be surprised to learn that the Bible actually has more to say about money than it does heaven or prayer or any of the other subjects that we think are appropriate to talk about in church so listen, we're not, we're not going to shy away from talking about something that obviously God thought was important. Obviously, he thought that this was a great area of vulnerability in our life, and that's why he dealt with it as much as he did in the scriptures, because uh, he wants us to understand the role that money has in our lives so that we can uh, really align ourselves with his will and really uh, know the good life that God wants us to lead. The first observation that I would like to make about this as we kind of examine the good life and what role money has or doesn't have uh, in it all, the first observation I'd like to make is that money is neither good nor evil. Money is neither good nor evil. A lot of people uh, that have more of a religious mindset tend to shy away from money uh, or even fear it. Because they think that money is evil. And I want to kind of explain how uh, that m- mistake uh, is made. And I want to uh, kind of show you where the origins of that wrong kind of thinking comes from here in just a moment. But let me state again. Money is neither good nor evil. It's, um, it is inherently uh, neither good nor evil. Uh, it's an inanimate object that um, the, the moral potential of it doesn't lie within itself, but rather what you do with it. You might think of it more along the lines of a tool, and what you do with that tool is going to uh, really uh, lend itself one direction or the other, good or or evil. Think of it like this. If somebody gave you a van today, they gave you the keys to a brand new 15-passenger van, and you used that van to go pick up people um, that are shut-ins, elderly people, and bring them to church, You're taking an an inanimate object, again, uh, whose potential, uh, whose uh, moral potential, uh, again, is based on how that inanimate object is used. You're using it for good, and that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. You could take, however, the same van, and you could begin to do drug trafficking with it or even human trafficking with it, and now... You're beginning to use it for evil. Think of money along those same lines. It's what you do with money that really sets the stage for either good or evil within your life. Now let me show you where that, uh, mistake, uh, uh, that mistaken idea about money really uh, generates from. There's a passage of Scripture in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 that a lot of people are familiar with, but they're not familiar enough with, uh, that I think leads to some of this wrong thinking. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, Paul writes here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he said this, he said, the love of money. Notice it's not money itself, but it's the love of money. Or you might say, uh, not just the love of money, but the devotion uh, of oneself to money and the pursuit of money. Our devotion, our affection for money, he said, is the root of all kinds of evil. So, this devotion uh, to money is at the root, he says of all kinds of evil. And he said, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So when he talks about this love or devotion, this affinity for money being at the root of all forms of evil, we could begin to talk about those evils that exist in this world. And the Bible says that a love for money is at the root of them all. I don't want to go through that whole laundry list with you today, but I do want to focus specifically on one form of evil within our life, that the love of money or an allegiance to money, um, the worship of money is at the root of that form of evil within so many people's lives, and that is the evil of robbing God. Many, many people are robbing God. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I've always hated a thief. To me, I mean, there is just few things Few things that I despise more than someone taking from someone else what's not theirs. Come on, y'all. I mean, man, I hate a thief. But when you start talking about stealing from God, robbing from God himself, then all of a sudden you're talking about taking that offense all the way, man, through the roof, right? And, And someone might say, well, how does one do that? How does one steal from God? How does one rob God? I'm so glad you asked that question. I wanna show you the answer to that question in Malachi chapter three. God is speaking through his prophet here in Malachi the third chapter in verse eight and he he asked a question. He asked a question of us all. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Will you rob God? And yet you rob me, God said. And he anticipates our question. He anticipates that we're gonna say, How in the world would I do that? And he answers that question. He said, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And then he answers, in tithes and offerings. And then he goes on to say, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And he explains that the way we rob him is by not giving our tithe to him. Now, let's real quickly talk about what the tithe is. The tithe is a practice between ourselves and God that was established early on with God's first interaction with mankind. There's a lot of people that are gonna say that tithing isn't for today because tithing is part of the law and we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, the truth is you don't know your Bible because tithing was around way before the law was established. Abraham was a tither, Long before God established the law for his people through his servant Moses, God was already interacting with mankind in this practice called the tithe uh, as Abraham faithfully practiced giving God the first 10% of everything he produced, of all of his income. And so it's a holy, holy practice that God expects from us. And then Jesus endorsed the practice of the tithe. How many know you don't get more New Testament than Jesus? Right? And and he endorsed the practice of the tithe himself because it is an established covenant between ourselves and God that predates the law and exists now here uh, after the law has been abolished because of the grace of God. So here we are in this covenant covenant expectation of taking the tithe. Jeff, what is that? Well, it's the first 10%. The word tithe literally means 10%. So it's the first 10%, not just 10%, but the first 10% of our income. God said it's his, and he said it's holy. We are not to use it for ourselves, but we're to uh, give it to God through the local church so that ministry can be in place here upon the earth. And when we do, we're acting in obedience to God But when we don't, when we don't practice the tithe, God said we're robbing him. And it is a form of evil. Now, it might be a form of evil in your own life. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you're not a tither. God said you're acting in an evil way by taking what's his and spending it upon yourself. And he says that when you do that, you're bringing yourself under a curse. It's not that God is cursing you. It's just that curse exists. And if you choose to dishonor him by not giving him what's his, you put yourself under that curse everyone who's not tithing today is living under a curse and you might go well hang on Jeff wait 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 just a minute what wait a minute I know people there's no way they're tithers they don't give 10 percent of their income to the local church and yet man they're not cursed man they live in the best home in the best neighborhood they drive the best cars man they have the best clothes once again, and we talked about this last week, but you are mistakenly equating that with, the, with, with, with the, the good life. What you may not understand and may not realize is everything, all those status symbols that you are kind of labeling the quote unquote good life may be the very curse upon that person's life. It might be their very undoing. It might be the thing that costs them what's really important in this life. You have no way of knowing. But God said, if you're not tithing, you're under a curse. Now, let me make one more observation here before we go any other direction. And that is, where money itself isn't evil. Remember, I said money is an inanimate object. And the moral potential of money isn't in money itself, but what we do with it. So, even though that's true, where money itself isn't evil, there's a spirit on money that is evil. There is a spirit on money in our fallen world that absolutely is evil. And here's the truth. You don't have to be uh, a person that was raised in church. You don't have to be someone who's really familiar with the Bible and what it teaches to know that. You know that money affects people in ways nothing else does. You know that people that have never really had anything, that all of a sudden fall into a lump sum of money, it, that it'll absolutely change them. It'll change their character. It'll change what kind of person they are and what kind of worldview they have. You know uh, that, that when you bring up the subject of money, man, walls start flying up around people because we're uncomfortable even with the topic or the subject. Why is that true? Because there's a spirit on it. There's a spirit On money, and that spirit is an evil spirit. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no man can serve two masters. Do you hear what Jesus said? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, in other places in the Bible, this word is translated money, but Jesus uses the term mammon. And what he does is, is he uh, personalizes that term. He takes it and personifies it, if you will. He attaches a name to that spirit that is on money, and he calls it mammon. Now, the people that he was talking to in the time that the Bible was written knew exactly What he was saying when he called that name, because it was the name of a false god that they were very familiar with, and that false god, the false god Mammon, was always associated with wealth and with money and with riches. And Jesus said, you can't serve that and serve me. You can't serve Mammon. You can't make all of those things your God and me your God at the same time. Are y'all listening to me? Jesus said, you can't serve both. The truth is, money talks. It will talk you out of things that you know you should be doing. It will talk you into things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Money talks. And the reason why Jesus uses this personification of this evil and actually gives it a name or a label is the same reason why Solomon Personified wisdom in the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon talks about wisdom as someone that walks up and down the streets crying out to people, crying out to the simple, crying out to the foolish. And in the same way wisdom will talk to you, come on y'all, money will talk to you. The spirit that is on money will talk you out of doing what you should do and into things that you shouldn't do. Money talks. It's persuasive. Money can have strong persuasive attributes upon it. And it really, all of this really just speaks to the greed and the other forms of evil that are associated with the spirit that is on money in our fallen world. Now let me just tie these two ideas together. I think that spirit on money in our fallen world is exactly what God was warning us about in Malachi chapter 3. When he said, when we're not tithers and when we don't give what's God what's his, that first 10% of our income, that we're coming under a curse. What curse? The curse of mammon. The curse of mammon luring, lording itself over our lives. And God wants to bring us out from under That curse. Tithing breaks the curse of mammon on our money. What it does is it actually puts that spirit in its rightful place and then recognizes Jesus as Lord. When I give God what's his... I break the power of mammon over my life, and I let mammon know, you're not going to rule my life. You're not, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to give God what's his, and Jesus is going to be Lord of my life. Money isn't. That's what you're doing when you're tithing is you're breaking that curse. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but if this love or allegiance to money is at the root of every form of evil, then until I deal with that curse, I'm not gonna be able to handle any other curse in my life. If if that curse found within the allegiance we have to to money is at the root of every form of evil, then listen, listen, If you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with some root of bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, you're never gonna get free of those strongholds until you first break this one on your life because this one is at the root of all the rest. One of the first things I ask people that come to me for counseling and they're, and they're, they're struggling with unforgiveness. They're struggling with some form of bitterness and offense towards someone who hurt them or let them down. They're struggling with infidelity or they're struggling with an addiction to drugs or pornography or whatever. One of the first things I do is ask them, are you a tither? Why? Because you've got to break that curse off your life before God can truly move in and set you free from these other, the curse of these other strongholds within your life. I wish somebody would give me an amen here today. I'm telling you a truth that will set you free. God wants to break all those strongholds in your life. And it's the tithe that starts that progression. It's the tithe that deals with that first stronghold, the stronghold of mammon over our life. Jesus put it this way in Luke 16 verse 11. He said, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? Let's deal with first things first. And tithing is really a two-way test. Tithing is a two-way test. Number one, it's God's way of testing us. He puts 100% of your income in your hands to see if you're going to be faithful with what's his. Are you going to spend it on yourself, or are you going to give it back to him where it belongs? It's a test. God is testing you. But then, likewise, it's a way we test God, and he invites us to do so. In that third chapter of the book of Malachi, he said, test me in this, says the Lord. Test me in this. And he said, see if I'll not open the window of heaven and pour blessing out upon you. There's not room enough to receive it. And he said, I will arise and rebuke the devourer. For my name's sake, within your life, I wanna hear from every tither in this room that's living under the open window of heaven. God's blessing you and pouring out blessing on you. Come on, are you here? I'm I'm telling you right now, that's been my life. That's been my life for over 35 years as I've honored God with the first fruit of my increase, giving that first 10% to him. I have lived, I have existed under the open window of heaven. Those blessings are both tangible and intangible. They're things you can touch and count. And then there are things that, listen, man, you may not be able to point them out. But they're there nonetheless. I can lay my head on a pillow at night and sleep and not toss and turn because I know God's for me who can be against me, right? I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got the intangibles. And he said, I would live under an open window of heaven as that curse of mammon is broken within my life. Now, listen. So many people are just after an opportunity to make, quote, unquote, good money. I just want to make good money. I want to get in a a field where I can make good money. Or I want to uh, get an education in an area that's going to set me up to make good money. Can I just make an announcement to you? You can't make good money. Because there's no such thing. Money is neither good nor evil. So you can't make good money, but you can make money good. You can't make good money, but you can make money good. And the real secret to the good life isn't making good money, it's making money good. Or it's one of those secrets to truly knowing a good life is when you allow the Spirit of God to uh, use you to make money good. I read this passage to you last week, but let me read it again. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. And before I read it, let me point out once again, as I did last week, you understand, don't you, that everyone in this room, and all of you watching me online, if you're here in, in America, in the West, Listen. We are rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we are affluent, we are wealthy, we are rich. We ought to stop right now and thank God for his blessing and favor upon us like that. But the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to speak to folks like us that truly are rich. We're really wealthy. We're really blessed. And he says this. He said, the rich are to do good and to be rich in good works. To be generous, everybody say generous. generous. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to really know the good life? Then live a life of generosity because it's in living that life of generosity that you really begin to take a hold of what God said is real life, is really living. Now, let me explain this. Now we've moved beyond the tithe because tithing isn't generosity. (laughs) Hello? Is this on? Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is is simply giving God what's his. It's simply not stealing from God. It's not until you begin to dip into what's yours that you're truly generous. And so Paul tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it's in those forms of generosity where first, first, first things first, we've broken the curse of mammon off our life by giving God what's his. Now God's able Position us under the open window of heaven and pour blessing out upon us. There's not room enough to receive it. And what's ours, what he's allowing us to keep and to operate on, now we begin to be generous with as we see needs around us and we help to meet those needs. Now all of a sudden we're really living the good life as God defines it. So real quickly, let me just enumerate. Ways to make money good. Again, you can't make good money, but here's how you can make money good. Number one, give to those in need. Every day we come, uh, we come in contact with people that are just struggling. You've got folks even in your life that are really, really struggling. And we need to be able to step up and help to meet that need when we do, we're making money good. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he said, if someone has enough money to, to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Now, listen, I'm not talking about meeting the needs of people that just refuse to go out and work. And try to make money themselves. But when you've got someone who's in a situation where they cannot help themselves, and you're blessed, and you're living under the open window of heaven, and you're not moved by compassion towards that person's need, John said, I don't even know if if the love of God is in you. So we make money good by giving to those that are in need. Number two, by managing money well. We make money good by managing money well. The the biblical word is stewardship and God wants us all to be good stewards. You'll never know the good life if you're not a good steward. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 28 through verse 30, Jesus said, which of you wishing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has the resources to complete the tower? Otherwise, if he lays the foundation and is unable to finish the work everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying this man could not finish what he started to build what's Jesus talking about here he's talking about a budget he's talking about living by a budget and if you don't do that if you don't live by a budget then let me tell you what's going to happen to you you're going to live your whole life wondering where your money went can I ask you how many of you ever felt that way don't raise your hand don't don't Raise your hand. But how many have ever got to the end of the month and just went, where did the money go? A budget will let you determine where your money goes instead of wondering where your money went. And that's why we need to practice that. And one of the ways the church will help you to do that is through our our whole financial peace small group that we offer every semester. We'll be telling you more about that here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll be kicking off a new semester of financial peace, and we can teach you a biblical approach towards money management that will truly help you determine where your money's going instead of wondering where it went so that you can really make money good. You do it by... Giving to those in need by managing money well. Thirdly, by taking care of your family. God blesses us in a way that we can take care of the needs of our family. And I don't know if you've ever seen this in the Bible, but I want you to see what 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says. It says, anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever we will not make money good until we use what God has given us and blessed us with in a responsible way in the lives of those we're responsible for. And when we refuse to, to work and to be faithful and to take care of the needs of our household, God said we're actually denying the faith. And he says the classification we fall in is actually worse than unbelievers. Appreciate all those amens here today. Appreciate all the support. Number, uh, Number four, how do we make money good? Establish an emergency fund. Don't spend everything you have, but put some away for a rainy day. That's a biblical concept. In fact, Proverbs 21 verse 20 said, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. What category are you in today? Are you the wise person that has stored up in savings something in the way of an emergency fund that, man, if something breaks next week, you're going to have the money to take care of that? Or are you going to have to go swipe a card and just get deeper in debt? The Bible said that's a foolish way to approach life. We're not going to make money good until we start using the wisdom of having that emergency fund. I would say at least three months The equivalent of about three months of your bills is a minimum of what needs to be in an emergency fund, a savings account. Uh, That would be the wisdom of God A great example of that, biblical example of that is Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you don't know his story, read it. It's amazing how God gave him the wisdom to do that. But he's also given each one of us the wisdom to do it as well. And then the last thing that I would say, how do you make money good? Give to those that are in need. Manage money well. Use it to take care of your family. Have that emergency fund, that savings account set up. And then lastly, number five, put your money to work for you. In other words, begin to invest it so that interest will come back to you and so that you can begin to build wealth That is a biblical concept. It's a biblical principle. That's why we don't shy away from teaching about money here at our church because God is the one who's provided the wisdom that we all need to know how to make money good. In Proverbs 13 verse 11, the Bible tells us that dishonest money dwindles away but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow and God would have you to do that. He would have you to increase your wealth so you can be Even more generous so you can really take hold of what he says is real life. You want to live the good life? Then follow those biblical principles of managing your money well. And let me wrap up with this. When you live the good life, you don't serve money. Money serves you as you serve him. Think about that for just a second. Let me say that one more time. Here's what it means to live the good life. Not to serve money like so many do in our fallen world, but to lead the good life, we don't serve money. No, money serves us as we serve God. Deuteronomy 8.18 said, remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God said he's the one that empowers us to to get wealth and he does that so that we can make money good and, and that it can serve us as we serve him. As I was Putting this message series together over the last several months, I've been thinking about this message, and there are two people in the New Testament that really stand out in in my mind. One is Judas, and I think we all are familiar with Judas. We know who he is. He's that disciple that Jesus hand-selected that was around Jesus every day. Think about that for just a moment. 365, he was around Jesus every day, 24-7. He was around him. He saw every miracle. He heard every sermon. He lived in the literal presence of God. And yet, the curse of mammon was never broken off of his life. And in the end, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, still trying to just go after that money. Think about that. The second person that I think about, we don't know nearly as much about as we know about Judas. He's a guy named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you probably sang about him in the nursery. Because Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that. The nursery's greatest hits. Hey, um... Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a hated tax collector. He's a wealthy tax collector. He's a man that mammon has by the nap of the neck. But he's heard about Jesus. And apparently his wealth and his riches hasn't fulfilled him. And everything he's heard about Jesus, he's intrigued by. And so as Jesus enters his hometown, Zacchaeus climbs up, because he was a wee little man. He climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could be above the crowd. And he could get a bird's eye view of this man they say could change your life. And not only did he get a glimpse of Jesus... But Jesus actually even stopped under his sycamore tree. I believe Jesus is going to stop under the sycamore tree of some people that are watching online today. Some people right here in this room. He's going to step, he's going to step right up to whatever tree you're hiding in because he wants to be with you today. And, and the Bible says that Jesus called Zacchaeus down from that tree and he said, This day, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. I'm going to hang out with you. And I want you to see this. I mean, this is a beautiful example of the good news the gospel, and I want you to see Zacchaeus' first response to the good news. You can read about it in Luke chapter 19. The first thing Zacchaeus did as Jesus reached out to him, Zacchaeus said, okay, I'm giving half of what I own to the poor, and I'm settling my debts with anybody that I've done wrong financially. I'm going to go take care of that. You know what Zacchaeus was doing? Zacchaeus was letting Mammon know, I don't serve you anymore. Mammon, you're not Lord of my life anymore. He is. This one is. Jesus is now Lord of my life, and Mammon is not. So here's the question. Here's the question. Are you going to be like Judas? Or are you going to be like Zacchaeus? As you make that decision, you're going to determine whether or not you truly live the good life.